0: Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning. So, y'all are on fire a little bit this morning. We have been a month uh, talking about family and uh, marriage and relationships and we've hit some heavy stuff. Uh, we started off heavy and we've been poking at things along the way. And uh, today I want to wrap all of that together uh, in a, a message that we've titled, if you've looked at your notes, Reverse the Curse. I didn't come up with that. Uh, Britt did actually. And it occurred to me that If you're from New England and you're a sports fan, the term, reverse the curse, is sort of famous. Like, we remember that, right? The origins of the actual term come from a a book called The Curse of the Bambino, written in 1990 by Boston sports writer, much loved, much hated, depend on who you're talking to, Dan Shaughnessy, right? He wrote this book, and... He was writing about the curse of the Bambino, the nineteen twenty, the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth, man, traded him to the New York Yankees, who back then were not the Yankees; they were the Yankees, but they were horrible. But the Red Sox had won five World Series in the last fifteen years, including in, uh, in nineteen eighteen, if I'm getting my dates right. And then we traded them. And then we stopped winning for a long, long, long time. In fact, we decided it was forever. We've never won a World Series. Well, actually, we won five, but it was 100 years ago, give or take, but whatever. I remember being a freshman in college, Bible college. No TVs allowed. Those were the old days, folks. And the Red Sox, it's 1986 and we're in the World Series. Remember this? And our school rolled out a TV. It was a miracle. (laughs) We're going to watch the curse be reversed. Remember that? It's October. Ah, I can hardly. It's the 10th inning, playing the New York Mets. Overtime, I don't call it over. Extra innings. Up two runs. We're about to celebrate. Curse over. And then Bill Buckner. Remember this? The ball rolled through his legs. Oh, we're cursed. It's true. We're cursed. Right, I mean, goodness. We went on to lose that. I remember that moment because standing right next to me was a girl who had been a ball girl as a little kid for the Mets, and she was so happy. And I hated her with a burning hot passion in that moment. I you know I repented later, but in the moment, well, then of course, in 2000, what was it? Four, we won. Yeah. yeah, moderate applause, right? We won again in, I don't know, 07, 2013, 2018, something like that. What What curse? No curse. We're winning. So, I wonder what we think about Curses about what we refer to as generational curses. Or maybe you've heard the term, the sins of the Father. Or maybe you're living out what people have called Father Wounds. Now here's my guess. You have scars from your youth. You have stuff in your life you're passing on that you don't want to pass on. and I know that about you because I know it about me. So what is that? And where does this idea of curse come from and what can we do about it? Well, let's begin here with where this idea comes from and a bit of an explanation, and then I think on to some hopeful solutions. Exodus chapter 34 is one place, it's not the only place, but there are a few places that sort of trace this idea. Let me read it to you. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, God of compassion and mercy, I am Slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. Don't forget those passages, those words that were just said. To a thousand generations, unfailing love, I lavish it but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation. I've had more than one conversation over the years with people about this passage. What is this talking about? And what does it mean? Is, Is God holding over our heads something that my parents did, or my grandparents did, or is something else at work here? Well, if we take Scripture in context with Scripture, it very much seems like something more is happening here, something something else. In fact, what we find is that that the world, all of the world, is covered by God's law. His law of sowing and reaping, the law of Consequence. The law that what we do has an effect on those around us, especially those closest to us. You see, it's not a curse, it's a consequence. There's a difference. When we think of curse, we think of something like inherited sin, the fact that we're all born with a sin nature. But that's not what this is referring to. This is referring to the law of God that governs everyone in the universe, the law of consequences, that what I do has a consequence on those around me, but it doesn't determine my destiny. In other ways, I can break free of it. Maybe one of the most beautiful examples of this is the story of Old Testament kings. When they would record, especially if you're reading through, uh, for instance, in this passage, turn over to 2 Chronicles. If you're reading through uh, Chronicles and you're you're reading the history of the kings, they'll, they'll come to a king and they'll introduce him with a summary of his life. And the summary of his life almost always looks the same. It simply starts off He did what was not pleasing in the eyes of God, or he did what was pleasing in the eyes of God. And then he adds something else. Let me read it to you. Here's one. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 21. The king's name is Ammon. Here's what it says about him. It says, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He didn't last long. But here's what it says. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Then it adds something else. Just as his father, Manasseh, had done. He worshiped and sacrificed to all the idols his father had made. There it is. It's a consequence. He followed in the footsteps, the pathway, the values of his father. And his life was summed up simply this way. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then his son takes over. His son's name is Josiah. It picks up in the very next chapter, chapter 34. Let me read to you what it says. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And watch what it says. He did. What was pleasing in the Lord's sight, and followed the example of his ancestor David. Josiah reached back beyond the consequence of his father to find a better example. Was David perfect? No. We know David's story. David wasn't perfect, but he was a better example, and he reached back to David and he followed his example. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. You see what's happening. He's he's countered the consequence of his his father. He did what was pleasing in the sight of, of the Lord. So we're not dealing with a curse. We're dealing with a consequence. I just wanted to start there. I want to lay the groundwork because we have the ability, what we call reverse the curse, is to go against the current of the consequence. We're, we're transforming something inside of us, and I love how Richard Rohr says it. Richard Rohr says it this way in his book, Adam's Return. He says, what we don't transform, we transfer. Oh man, how true. What we don't transform in our lives, we transfer. Oof. Scared yet? Me too. Man, what we don't transform, we transfer. Hmm. I was walking around here the other day. It was the middle of the week. The building was quiet. It's not always that way, but it was quiet this day, and I was walking through one of the halls, And uh, we've got these concrete floors, which are great for cleaning and stuff. And I'm walking through, and and I could feel like the floor was sticky. And I was sticking. It annoyed me. I've been practicing that all week, by the way. (laughs) And I thought the cleaning crew would get it. These guys are amazing, Altadilla and the group of volunteers. They'll be on this. You won't feel this by Sunday, but it was the middle of the week. stick, 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 stick. It annoyed me. I'm not going to lie. I could feel it just enough that when my foot lifted off, I could feel it just a little bit. And I could hear it because it was quiet and it was echoing. stick, 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 stick. I went to my office, and I, I sat down, and I have one of those chair mats a carpet in the office, and there's a chair mat so your chair can move. And, I, and, and I, I was sitting at the office, and I turned to get something, and my foot came up and... Stick, stick. And I thought to myself, my mat is sticky too. And then the light bulb went on. <laughs> And off came the shoe. There it was. It wasn't the floor. It was, <laughs> it was me. We have a phrase for that. I had stepped in it. <laughs> stick, 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 stick. I'm describing our life, right? Stick, 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 stick. What we don't transform, we Transfer. And it's not uncommon to think that the problem is everywhere else. Hmm. You know how we usually transfer it? It looks like two things we resent it or we repeat it. Huh? So, so you know what I mean by repeat it, right? You, you, you begin to live out the same behaviors that you learned somewhere along the line. Maybe you learned it as a, 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 a child. Maybe you learned it from a mom and a dad. I, I, maybe you learned it from a, a sibling or another influential person in your life, but you, you've learned to repeat behaviors. Maybe you grew up in a home where secrets were kept, And there was a current of dishonesty, but dishonesty was how you stayed alive and how you got ahead. And because of that, there's always been a vein of dishonesty as a mode of survival running through your life. Maybe you grew up in a home where shame was the tool to bring us in line. And you don't know any other way. Shame feels like it's a vehicle towards goodness and righteousness, but something about it feels ugly and wrong. Maybe in your home, anger was the tool. And because of it, you learned how to use anger. You wield it like a two-edged sword. We repeat it. But you know what's more common? We resent it. You see, both are ways that we transfer what's from the past to what's next. Both are stick, 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 stick. You see, when we resent it, we set out and determine, I'll never do that I'll never be that it's like a cancer we've cut out of our life but when we cut it out we left a giant scar and it shows up in resentment in bitterness it shows up in a basket of emotions that we pass on I'm not going to be that. We resent. and we repeat. So what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with the consequences that have been passed down to us that seem so deeply embedded in us we don't know how we would ever release ourselves from? They are... They are virtually a part of our core personality. How do we release these things? It turns out that the Bible has a powerful, powerful tool, and I want to take one verse and one tool, and I want to give you a practical way to walk it forward. I sat this past week with uh, my friend, Dr. Dr. Jim Manganello, who is a Christian counselor, has been doing this for Uh, over 40 years you might correct me and say over 50 i'm not sure but we sat and we just kind of talked over breakfast through these themes and what he's seen over the generations and this process of what happens in this verse let me read you the verse it's in colossians chapter 3 a passage we just read through but it's a verse worth resting on here's what it says make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let me read that again. Just rest into it, right? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let me take a minute to show how this verse can be applied in our lives in three. And I do think they're steps. I do think they're progressive. And here's where it begins. It begins with seeing the whole person. I think that's what it's doing here when it says at the very beginning, make allowance for each other's faults. See the good and the bad is that hard that is hard if you have something or someone in your life and you have some negative memory deeply embedded in your life from the past seeing good and bad is like i how do i do that like it's so hard in fact here's the reality negative memories are more deeply embedded than positive memories When you have a negative interaction, when that fight or flight thing comes up in your life and something like that, that fear grips you as a young person, it actually releases a a chemical, cortisol, which embeds these things deeply. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder years later, our negative memories are more deeply embedded, more easily remembered, and more impactful than often positive ones. So so here's an exercise. And, And Colossians chapter 3 is inviting. It's saying, make allowance for other people's faults. See, in other words, do for them what you want them to do for you, right? Like, and and how do we do that? Like we we make allowance for our own faults. We all do it. How do we make allowance for our own faults? Because we see the good in the bad, right? We see that we're not entirely a bad person. We see the good in that person. And so we put those two things side by side and we recognize that we have some worthiness and some goodness. And that's what this passage is inviting us to. It's inviting us to see the whole of the person and uh, I was A uh, book that I mentioned last week, The Intentional Father, actually walks through an exercise that I thought was really helpful for this. It, it, it talks about writing out a script. You might do this. In fact, here's a way to do it. Take a piece of paper and draw a line right down the middle. And up top, write mountains and valleys. And then just go back in your story with wherever that struggle is coming. Go, go back to who it is and just start tracing through the story of your life and writing down mountains and valleys. Write down some mountains like the good, the lessons you learned, the gifts you were given, the memories you have that were beautiful and life-giving. When you're done writing down that set of mountains, maybe there's more. Maybe you'll write something about that person. Maybe you write a little bit of their story and what you're proud of in that person's story and what they overcome. And, and now you're going back another generation and you're looking at their story another generation and how did they become the person they were? And what did they overcome? You're writing down a long list of mountains. And then go over to the other side and and... and and record the valleys. I mean, literally, write them out. Write out those painful places and the lessons you learned and the things that have stuck with you and where it hurts and how it's harmed you. How it's formed you in negative ways. Write it out. Now you have a script. And tear it in half. You've got a mountains and valleys. What do you do with them? Well, the next part of this verse, what is, it says, it starts off by saying, "Make allowance for each other's fault," but then it goes to a very, a, a simple, uh, powerful, private act, and forgive anyone who offends you. The act of forgiving, take, take that, that, set the, set the mountains aside for a moment. Take the valleys. Just take that list. My friend, uh, Dr. Jim, uh, has a habit of when people are walking through this. By the way, let me just say something. This process that we're talking about isn't fast. And it's not easy. So, and you, you may need someone to walk alongside you with it. I think that the, there is enormous value in a godly counselor. And in this case, I think that the value of a Christian counselor who can walk with you through the deepest valleys and who can point you to the power of forgiveness... We have on our website, if you're, if you're looking, we have a, a, under resources, we have a list of counselors that we, we think can walk with you through this. But, but, but a counselor that can walk through you, and Dr. Jim has this, He says, I invite people to put a chair out. I love that idea. Take a chair, just an empty chair, because the person doesn't need to be in the chair. In fact, they probably shouldn't be in the chair. And, and take your list to that chair. invite god into this conversation with you and begin to intentionally forgive read read your list out and begin one by one through your list the act of forgiving You say, when do I go to the person? Here's the biblical principle about going to a person. We are always invited to resolve a conflict at the most private level possible. Here's what that means. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is a man's glory to overlook an offense. The most powerful thing is to be able to take that and to set it there and to privately release a person. The person doesn't have to be with you. They don't have to agree with you. They don't even have to be alive. And we're going through this powerful act of forgiving, of releasing them. And as we do, those things begin to lose their grip on us, slowly but surely. What do you do with the mountains? I have one last thought, and we'll wrap up with this. I called it in our notes a a, a healing letter. Dennis Rainey uh, from Family Life created this idea, and I've always thought it was helpful. It's called a tribute letter. You know, you may want to take that other side of paper, the mountains, and write a letter to someone from your past. They don't even have to be alive, folks. All the more beautiful if they are, and they can receive it. It's a letter of tribute, just a tribute of what I've noticed in you, the gifts that you gave me. I want to acknowledge and recognize what you came over to become the person you were. I want to acknowledge the good that I saw and celebrate it in you. What about forgiveness? Forgiveness then what about forgiveness? Here's what I would say about that. If that person has sought forgiveness from you, offer it. Just as simply as that. If they've never sought it, if they don't think that they're even in any wrong, your private forgiveness is powerful enough to set You free. And then give it to him. Because here's how it finishes. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. In other words, remember the grace that you were given. and then give it to someone else. Remember the the generosity, the patience that was given to you, and then give it to someone else. You see, God's... Plan of forgiveness. It's, it's, not a, it's not a magic incantation. You don't, you, you don't sit with a list of paper across from an empty chair and suddenly things like, you know, sunshine comes out. And I mean, you may experience something like that, but but most of the time it begins a process of something that had power over us, losing its power over us. The resentment seeps away. And its power to keep us repeating the past loses its stick, stick, stick. See, it's not a curse, it's a consequence. And you and I, we have a choice. And God's given us an incredible way to live that out. By forgiving. Even in some of the most painful of places. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I, I want to I pray in a moment for some specifically in our room because... I know that there are some stories in this room that are so so dark and so, so painful, it can seem almost impossible to face. I know it's possible that you've been through a thousand efforts to be set free. God's word, and his plan is powerful. Father, I pray for the man or the woman who's here today and sees something in their life they don't want to pass on, something in their life that's had a stickiness to it that's just been transferring itself to everyone around us. So, Father, we pray together that your Spirit, your presence, Christ in us, would enable us That Father, we would be able to walk through this pattern of forgiveness, of release and letting go, of healing and new beginning. Father, we don't want to pass these things on and we don't want to live with the scar of resentment. So, Father, we ask that we would be able to do for another exactly what you've done for us. That we would make allowance, that we would forgive, and we would remember what grace feels like. We pray this together.